If you're new with us today, this is not our normal way of proclaiming and studying through the Word. We're expositional preaching church. We pick books of the Bible and we study them through and we're in the middle of Psalms, but we've taken a break here at this critical point of our life of our church to ask this question. I challenge you, if you're new with us, to go back in the beginning of the series because what we're in now is in the middle of the application. I know it's hard if you hadn't heard the context and the introduction and the theology and the doctrine, and now we're in the application, so please avail yourself of that. But stand with us now. As we come to this, and as you stand, remember where we are in Scripture, Acts 2, verse 42. Jesus has ascended. He tells his followers, go into Jerusalem, wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit, and that's what they have done. You remember on Pentecost, fully come, the Holy Spirit came and filled, and these brothers, and he they spoke God's word, and Peter stood up and preached and told the group of people. Most were there, and the cried, crucify him. And he said, you killed the king of glory, but God has raised him up and made him Lord in Christ. And they said, what must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. And when he did, that which Christ began in the church exploded. And this was what was happening in the in the, in the group of that body of the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those that were being saved. And so God, as we've been praying every week, pray that you would do it again, God. We do not and we cannot create spiritual life in those that we long to be alive in you. But you've given us a word to be proclaimed. You've given us a purpose for why we live and breathe and have our being. And God, help us do it while we're here, Lord. Give us wisdom to understand that we are redeemed for a purpose. And that purpose looks like something. Oh God, help us to be clear. Give us understanding today. In Jesus' name, be seated. So I hope you've got a little bifold paper like this. If not, there's some back there on the back table. You're not going to bother me at all to get up and get one. But I want you to have this with you as we go through. I've intentionally put a little bit more on there than I normally do because this is so important. So if you've got that paper, pull it out. On the top of it, the front page, there's our purpose statement. I want us to read our purpose statement together. You ready? Somebody say ready. 
The purpose of Battleground Community Church is to glorify God through Christ-exalting worship as we grow together in biblical community while going with the gospel to all peoples. So to do that, we must understand. We must define what is the church. We have been saying it is a redeemed community with a clear purpose. And we have already explained the purpose is to glorify God. We have turned the corner hard and sharp now. And now we are applying and I want to expand. After last week's sermon, I want to expand this definition of what is the church. So it's on the screen. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacrament of baptism and communion, are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. Hope you see that in last week's message. But brothers and sisters, we must get on the same page together. We are created for community with God and each other. We see it in the beginning in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. When God said, let us make man in our image. And that he did. In verse 28, he said, and God blessed them and told them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God didn't just create Adam to be Adam as a self-autonomous individual. God is a God in community. And God intended Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, thereby building communities for the glory of Him. That was the plan. Genesis 3 happened, remember? Sin destroyed community, but listen, it did not destroy the desire for it. For every social group that's meeting meeting today and every hell's angels that are driving today and every group and no matter what it is, understand the desire for community. The problem is sin. Romans 5, 12, remember? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Sin destroyed community. Communities began to get worse and worse rather than better and better. Matter of fact, communities begin to do what's best for them. You see, materialism and consumerism is not just an American thing. It happened after the fall. The destruction of the family and community follows. Sin separates. And sin will isolate you in your golden palace. Satan is anti-community. Praise God for the gospel. Because biblical community can only be rebuilt through the cross of Jesus Christ. Turn with me and keep your place in 1 Peter. Because we're going to be here, be here as we're going to refer back to 1 Peter. as a parallel book. I like 1 Peter because of where it begins. It's good news today. He's driving us toward community, Peter is. And yes, I'm still in the introduction, by the way. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. 
He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Biblical community is not something that you can create or I can create. It is something that God creates. It is a gift. It is a privilege to be in the community of the redeemed. You do not deserve it and you cannot cause it on yourself. God causes us to be born again. And 1 Peter 2 says you are not only, 1 Peter 1, have a living hope now. 1 Peter chapter 2 says you are born again as living stones to be built into a place, a tabernacle for God together. 1 Peter 2, 9-12 says that we are a community redeemed to bring Him glory. So how do I take someone? How do you take someone? How do we take someone from spiritual infancy to spiritual adulthood? We asked that last week. From this moment of this following this command to make disciples and to Ephesians 4.13 that says, I, My goal and your goal is to be unified in the body of Christ and be mature to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. He's our standard. Last week we said there's step one in this process. You see, it does no good for you to say generically, I exist to bring God glory and have not, don't understand what it means. It has to look like something in your life. And for the church, it must look like something for us. And so we must be clear. That we tried to be clear last week that we are going to gather together to exalt Christ. We're going to preach the word. We're going to sing the word. We're going to see the word. We're going to pray the word. And we're going to, we're going to respond to the word. That's what we're going to do when we gather. We gather to exalt Christ and to expose his word. while we preach the way we do. There is a second step. And it is the most critical. We must grow in biblical community. This is our second step. We gather together to exalt Christ. Now we grow in biblical community. This is how we accomplish what Ephesians 4.13 tells the pastors and your leaders to do to equip the saints. And it tells us how you are going to be go about doing the work of ministry. How you are going to grow in unity and in maturity. Alan Hurst says it this way, the essential task of discipleship is to embody the message and the mission of Jesus, the founder. I used this illustration yesterday with my kids. You see, being a, having a family, and the privilege of you having a family is the same as have illustration as trying to understand the privilege of being part of the church. And here's my concern today. That you think you can do it alone. Just one color. Do you remember it? Do you remember when you used to color like this? My concern for the church is that we believe that we can do it just fine on our own. That we can paint the picture that God has told us to paint and we don't need anybody else to do it. And listen, that destroys the family of God and it destroys your personal family. We are not designed to do it alone. And you cannot grow and you cannot accomplish Ephesians 4.13 by yourself. Could it be, brothers and sisters, 
that God has designed the church to be a diverse group of people where we're not all white, we're not all black, we don't all have the same gifts. We struggle with different things. We look at differently, but we are one because of the person and work of Christ. Not in your text. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 10. This comes after Ephesians 2, verse 8. Let me read this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Look at verse 10. For what does it say? What's the next word after for? We. For we. For we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece in the making, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, but we are not created to do it alone. We are created to grow in biblical community with each other. I am concerned, brothers and sisters, that we are far more concerned of how we do church We are far more bothered that there are not pews in this building rather than chairs or that there ought to be chairs in a place rather than pews or where there ought to be stained glass or a a steeple on on the top of a building and we're more concerned about how we do church than how we follow Christ. And this is what we, God's Word has spoken to us, brothers and sisters. And yes, I am concerned. This is why I'm excited today. I'm not mad. I'm concerned that we have lowered the bar of what it means to follow the Christ and raised the bar on things that God and Jesus Christ never even spoke about. And so we must be clear today that biblical community for us looks like growth groups. Call them whatever you want to. They're small groups of people that gather together. And we do that for three reasons to accomplish three things together. I want us to disciple each other. I want us to care for each other. And I want us to go on mission together. This is our vision. This is the center of what it means to be Battleground Community Church. Growth groups meet where we live everyday life because that's where Jesus discipled his disciples. Everywhere. Matthew 8 is just one illustration. Jesus goes into Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law and ends up people bringing them people into his house and he heals them. Jesus made disciples in the mountains, at the sea, on the street, in the temple, in people's homes, wherever he went in everyday life. This is the context for how we show people how to follow Jesus. It's not a program, brothers and sisters. It is your life. It is your life. It is your mission. The great commandment to love God and each other pushes us toward the Great Commission. Growth groups are word-centered for us. Mark chapter 4, we already been, we've been here before. We looked at the life of Christ, but I want you to see a word here. You remember Mark 4, verse 1? Jesus preaches in different settings. He began to teach, verse 1, beside the sea, very large crowd gathered. You see verse 10, and when the 
when he was alone, those around him with the twelve, asked him about the parables. So there was this discussion going on around the teaching of what God had said, what Jesus had said. Look with me at verse 33. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. Listen, what I, listen. But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. You know what that word explain means? It means to untie the knot. That's a good picture, isn't it? That there had to be a time when Jesus with his disciples, how many of you have studied Jesus and his disciples? No, they stayed in a knot most of the time. We don't understand. What, 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 what did you say? What do you mean? There has to be a place centered on God's word where God's word can be explained to his people to untie it where they must, who may apply it. We see it in Acts 2.42 that God's people were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So how do we apply it? We apply it in growth groups where we meet, where we live in everyday life. Because that's where we must apply God's word. Growth groups are word-centered. They are sermon-based. One text, what we're talking about on, from the pulpit, then we go into our growth groups where, where we talk about it, how to use it, how to apply it, what it means. This means that according to what we see in Jesus' life, they must be discussion-oriented. Growth groups are not meant to be a lecture where you hear someone lecture to you. There's a place where we open up God's Word and says, this is what it says. Do you understand what it means? It has to be a conversation. Growth group is a place where we look at specific issues of life. I cannot deal with every specific issue of life that's in the room right here. I can't. So where are you going to untie that knot at? You're going to be like that crayon over there? Well, I went to church. You must be able to gather with the redeemed in a small group. Because, listen, it's just not about you. There's someone else in that room that's got a different knot that you've already untied and they have no clue how to untie it. They're saying this is impossible. It's in a double knot. I can't untie it. And God, through suffering and through His Word, has already delivered you. Growth group is where we deal with specific issues in life. My growth group leaders have the ability and the right to put a pause button on the sermon discussion and talk about marriage, talk about money, talk about grief. It needs to be biblical and deal with those issues in life. Growth group is what's already happening in our life, and it is what we are going to use to help people grow. Growth group helps you discover your gifts and passions. And listen, if you know yours, praise the Lord, but there's people around you who don't have a clue. Don't. They're spiritual infants. Romans 12, 3. This is exactly the context. We begin to think about spiritual gifts. Romans 12, verse 3. If you know your spiritual gifts and you know what your talents and some of your talents and how you can use them for God's glory, the only reason you have them and the only reason you know them is by His grace. For by grace given to me, I say, 
to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we are many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that he has given us, let us use them. We're right back to the crayon box, aren't we? We are varying different. But we are one. And we are used them to the benefit of each other and to God's glory. We gather together for worship. Then we scatter into everyday life. We gather in growth groups and then go practice what we learn. Growth groups develop leaders. If you go to a growth group, you will be developed. If you think that you may want to teach, we will help you be an apprentice and see if that's in fact what God helped you to do. If you love people, then you could be a host home. Or you can partner with other host homes. Miss Ricky loves to cook. And she uses it for God's glory. There's plenty of people who have those things. Use it for His glory. Growth groups is where you can practice it, where you can discover it. Growth groups are where future missionaries, pastors, teachers... Deacons, parents, leaders in the community, and leaders in business are discovered and they're built. We practice 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, that says what Paul says, Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. You see, there's spiritual infants, there's children, there's young adults, there's mature adults in the body of Christ. And it's our responsibility that they all grow to maturity. Our growth groups will be multi-generational. Scripture knows nothing of segregation by race or by age. And neither must we. Discipleship. Listen, this is why I've spent so much time here. Discipleship, quote, is the very task on which Jesus focused his efforts and invested most of his time. We're going to disciple each other. But listen, we're also just going to care about each other. And listen, don't be afraid to call this pastoral care. That's what it's do, what's what you're doing. When you come alongside someone, when you help them walk, when you say, follow me as I follow Christ, you're not saying you're perfect. You're saying, I need Christ as much as you do. Follow me as I follow Christ. And as they follow Christ, you step out of the way and assist them as they follow Christ. And then they begin to follow Christ and you go back and get a spiritual infant and start over again. That's why we exist. Growth group is where we care for each other. How can a church care for the varying and growing needs of individuals in their life? When the church is small, sometimes pastors can, a pastor or pastors can keep their finger on it. But this is not reproducible. And what ends up happening, if something is not done and something does not started well, the focus is on this, the gathering, and the only people who get, who get ministered to is the one who have the loudest needs. Growth groups is the place to where you do not have to wonder who you should care for. They're in your group. You know their needs. I do not have to assign a care group leader to our growth groups. They care about each other because they're family. 
And that's what families do. The answer to the pastoral care question in our church is growth groups where we live everyday life. The more growth groups we have that exist in the places that we live, the better the ability we have to care for people in everyday life. But I want you to see something. It's not my, this is not my opinion. 1 Peter 1, if you got 1 Peter, Mark, go back to 1 Peter 1. Look at verse 22. He didn't have to say it this way. Peter didn't have to say it this way. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in verse 22, he says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnest from a pure heart since you have been born again. Do you see that? You're born again and sanctified so that you may care for one another. That's why you're saved. You're not saved just to not go to hell. You're saved so that you might love each other. You're purified for love. Growth groups are not merely Bible studies or social groups. Listen. Growth groups have the responsibility for the ongoing growth and care of the church. That's why if you're a leader, you should be in growth groups. Who did you call in your church family last week? Were they on your mind? Community groups should be a place where the implication of the gospel are lived out in tangible and visible ways. This should not only occur in crisis moments of life, but it should permeate the life of our community as we walk together. Growth groups should disciple each other. Growth groups should care for one another. And growth groups should go on mission together. I'm not going to spend too much time here. I'm gonna, we're going to look at the Great Commission next Sunday. At Patriots Park, by the way, 11 o'clock. But growth groups should go on mission together. So let me just give you some language so that you understand it. If you go to our website, you're going to see this language. Missions equals disciple-making. Disciple-making equals missions. And so when we say mission or missionary, we will use disciple-making or disciple-maker. In other words, the platform, the launch pad for, for missions is the growth group. It's the people you're already living life with, the people you already care about. It's the people that you're studying with. gives you the opportunity to apply what, you, what we preach. And so I want to break this down into three ways that I think will be helpful. Personal disciple making, local disciple making, and global disciple making. Because they are distinct and they are important. And listen, like, like these varying colors in the crayon box, not all of us have the ability to do all three. Some do. But everybody has the ability to do the first one. That is, we have a responsibility in, within our growth groups as individual members together to be personal disciple makers. You say, well, that's really personal, isn't it? It is. It's where I live. It's where I work. It's where I go to school. It's where I shop. It's where I play. It's where I eat. Everybody does those things. We all eat somewhere. We all work somewhere. 
We all go to the same hardware store. We go to the same grocery store. We play ball with the same people. So how does your growth group help with that? They don't go to work with you. This is, growth group is where it raises the awareness that personal disciple making is not something that we, can, we should avoid because it is disobedience right now. If in these places we are not helping people introduce them to Jesus and help them follow him. Growth group raises awareness. It reminds us that we're supposed to be living with intentionality, that I'm supposed to be living on a mission, that God gave me the job He gave me for the glory of His name to make disciples. The location of your growth group is important because the mission of God is important. Most programs that churches have to create are created because we are not doing what God has told us to do. God tells us to make disciples where I go to the grocery store. That girl behind the counter who I accidentally run into in the parking lot. At the gas station where I work, growth group helps must raise awareness. These are important. It sets me in a context that I cannot avoid understanding to say, who's your neighbor right there? Do they know Jesus? Have they ever eaten in your home? Growth group is where we resource you to know what to say and when to say it. It's where we discuss those things. Is there a barrier in your life that's affecting the way you personally make disciples? Because listen, if your marriage is a wreck, it affects disciples making. If your finances is a wreck, it affects the way you make disciples. If your witness at work has been contaminated by your life, then we need to get that out of the way. You need to do radical amputation so that you may make disciples, growth group, the people you trust, the people you love, the people you study with are there for us to help us do that. We are all responsible to make disciples, to leverage what God has given you, your homes, your hobbies, your job, for the glory of His name, to help other people know who Jesus is and know how to follow Him. There's also local, local disciple-making. It is distinct. These are our visible ministry expressions around us. We take a, if you've got your Bible, you may want to flip over there. We take a James 127 view of ministry. And this is only going to grow. James 127. I'm going to preach on this soon. As soon as I get a free one sermon that I get to preach something different, me or Pastor Mike is going to preach on this text. Pop that one on him. He didn't even know that was coming. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Local disciple making, we must look to the fringes. By the way, 1 Peter says that's where we live. Aliens. It looks to the defenseless. It looks to the marginalized in our local community. James 2.14. If you got James, just flip over a chapter. James not pulling any punches. You know who he's talking to here? 
He's talking to people who says they're religious. They come to church every Sunday, but they can't name one disciple they've made. They see people on the side of the road and their hearts not moved to compassion. They have what people need, but they don't give it to them. Here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking food and, and daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the devils believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And then he goes and gives a biblical illustration. What's his point? Not that we're saved by works. He's saying that if you're saved, you're going to work. And if you're not working, you have no reason to think that you're saved. That's what he's saying to religious people. Why? Because people who live, who've been bought into Christ, desire to make disciples. They look to the defenseless and the marginalized. How are we going to do that here? Well, to start with is how we care for each other. We're right back where we started from. It's how we care for our people. We're going to do this through deacon ministry. Our deacon's primary responsibility is to make sure that we're cared for, especially those who cannot defend those who are alone. Our James 127 fund, that's a fund that we've established over and above your tithe, where that you can give, it does two things. It takes care of our needs in our church family, people that are in crisis, and the second thing, and the second priority, it takes care of the needs of people in the Kings Mountain community if they're in crisis. If you give to that fund, your offerings, that's where it's going to be used for. And if you don't give to it, we will not have any money to take care of those in our church body who get the need. You see how if your finances are not in order, how it's a barrier to ministry? It is. How we care for our people is not only, it's through deacon ministry, it's through how we give. Now listen, ultimately, go right back to it. I'm beating the same drum. It's through your growth group. That's how we care for people. If you're not actively involved, you're not going to know the needs, and you're not going to know they're hurting. You're not going to know they, what's going on in their life because they're not going to announce it to a whole group of people. They're going to talk to people that they trust. And you want to be one of those people. That's the very practical ways of how we care, but we must also care for the community that God has put us in. We're going to do this through active partnerships with local ministries. We are right now still working and putting together Battleground Community Outreach. The purpose of that outreach is to mirror to some degree Parkwood Community Outreach with a very distinct difference. The ones that we're going to use for that ministry is we're simply going to reach out to the local ministries, the hospice, crisis ministry of Kings Mountain, and we're going to ask them well, the areas of their need, and we're going to come back to the growth groups, and we're going to say, this is their need. And we're going, to, we're going to come together as one, and we're going to fill those needs. Acts 1-8 ministry funds, another fund we've established, where everything that's given to will go for local and global. This is the simplicity of local ministry, both personal and local. 
It is that you intentionally put yourself in the pathway of sinners. Listen, I don't care what you call the ministry. I want you to put yourself in the pathway of the sinners and the hurting and the marginalized. That's ministry. That's how we're going to love those around our community. It's going to be how we care for the defenseless and the marginalized. I just want to use three ones that's going to be on our minds at the top. First is the unborn. We're going to actively participate and serve with the Cleveland County Pregnancy, the, the Pregnancy Resource Center, to work with them. Part of those Acts 1-8 fund goes to support them. We're going to urge our growth groups to adopt these ministries, to, to be with them in their walks for life, and to help them to raise awareness. But listen, your view on the sanctity of life does not stop at the womb, because those children are born, and they must be cared for. And so we must care for the fatherless. We must care for the orphan. We must foster. We must do whatever we must do, and we must get our lives right so that we must do it. This has always been what the church has done. So we have the Hands of Hope Endowment Fund, which is most of us who have adopted has benefited from that, including me. It's going to help our Battleground Community Church families adopt. So that finances is not as big a hurdle as it is. We want to help you adopt. We want to help you foster. We have an active support group for those who have adopted or fostered. But we're not stopping there either. Because God has told us to love all of life. So that means we must love people at the end of life. We must love the aging. Our deacon ministry. One of their charges is to make sure they care for those as we all have beginning to get older, and we cannot do what we want to do, we're going to actively serve the hospice of Cleveland County. They're part of our, they're part of our ministry. They're going to, part of our resources, the Acts 1A fund will go to support them. This is how we will apply when I say we believe from the womb to the tomb. It is, let's not just talk of it. Let's say that's what we must do. personal, local, global. I'm going to talk about global next week. I'm not going to go there right now. Let me just ask you a question. Could you please stop saying I can't afford it? Never say that. Just ask God if he wants you to go. Listen, God is the only person in all of creation and the universe and in any the time and space, outside of time and space, that does not have to live on a budget. And praise the Lord, we're picking a vote on our budget. God doesn't need a budget. He has infinite value and worth. And if he tells you to do something, he will provide for you. And we have witnesses that will say amen. Amen. Let me just say this before I move to the application. Going globally corrects your Americanized and my Americanized worldview. Going globally forces me to prioritize my life. Going globally is the way we biblically show you how we plant churches and develop leaders, not only here but around the world. Listen, I guarantee you, if you go globally, it will throw fertilizer on the rest of your life. Your personal disciple making will be more real and more urgent 
your local discipling may be more of a priority in your life. You can go short-term, you can go mid-term, you can go long-term. But here's my question this morning. Where are you in your spiritual growth? You see, if, if we want to go somewhere, if you want to go anywhere, you have to know where you are. If you, if you want to grow, don't be afraid this morning to say, you know, Pastor, I'm a spiritual infant. I'm very needy. <laughs> it's all about me. Struggling with that. I'm a child, a little bit more, a little bit more independent, but still very. I want to grow. It's all about me. I just have to. I want to paint this picture. I didn't draw this. I stole it off out of the kids' ministry. Which picture do you want to be? Do you want to stay the rest of your life painting with one color? Or do you want to look down in the crayon box and say, God's made me part of a family. And that we, together, are not all supposed to look like each other. But we all have unity in the midst of our diversity that's brought in oneness by Jesus Christ do you know where you are? Because once you do, here's my promise to you, is if you will gather faithfully and consistently with the body of Christ, if you will plug yourself into a growth group, and you will begin to go in the very basic ways in, on the mission of God, you're, you will grow. And not only you will grow, people around you will start growing. You say, how do I know? You see that on your notes? Where is it? Where's the message of Christ stopping in your life? Is it stopping in your head? Is it stopping in your heart? Or has it got out to your hands yet? You say, the devil understands the information about God. Hasn't reached inside of him. He is not, Jesus is not his Lord. It's not. So our kids' ministry is designed to teach our kids the what and the who of God, of Jesus, of the gospel, of their problems. But we can't put it in here. But when he does, and as we begin to grow, we begin to say, you know, this, this is not about me. Why does the Bible say that? How do I need to do that? And Tony, show me how to do this. This is how, what it looks like to begin to grow. It's beginning to permeate in you. And what it looks like when it gets to your hands is that we are active in mission. We begin to handle God's word correctly. We begin to deal with others correctly. We begin to discern God's will. We begin to find our place in the body of Christ. And we, we love to be there. We begin to witness to the lost. And we begin to serve from the inside out in the body of Christ. That's what it looks like when it gets to our hands. And where you are in that process tells you where your spiritual growth is. And no matter where you are, no matter where you are, I ask these three questions. Do you want to grow? Do you want to grow? Do you want to see others grow? Do you feel as passionate about the second question as you do the first? 
you want deep to see people to go from death to life? Do you? Because it only happens one way. Through the word of God. Proclaimed to them. Lived out before them. Show them how, what it looks like. Brothers and sisters. Step number two as a church that we must be committed to is to grow together in biblical community so that we may be painted into this picture of Savior. We're not the masterpiece. God's church is. And we are the church. Bow your heads with me. I want to read 1 John 4 and I'm going to pray. Verse 7 says, Beloved, Oh, what a word in Scripture. Beloved, those loved by God, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is the love of God was made manifest to us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Oh God, that we would be a people to demonstrate this beautiful, redemptive work through the way we love each other. Through the commitment that I have. That we are precious blood-bought children. And you've given me the privilege of living with them. For us to be perfected together. What a privilege. We have in Jesus. Oh God, make us one. One in our commitment, Lord, to know. One in our commitment to care for those that you care for and to go on the mission until you come. Make it so, God. Start with me. Lord, now, you receive our worship for the glory of your great name for the name of the only one who can save our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Amen let's stand